Welcome to the podcast of Euless First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you worship with us in person. These messages come from our worship services, Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11. We worship at 106 North Main Street in Euless, between Airport Freeway and Highway 10. May you feel the presence of God, and may God bless you as you listen. Great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, because you and you only, God, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start kind of with a preview of, uh, of the series that starts next week. Uh, Rachel mentioned this on the, uh, in the announcement at the beginning. We're going to start a focus on the, on the Bible. So 2020, we're going to start with a focus on the Bible. It'll run through the month of January, and it might bleed over into February. Because there's a lot of Bible there, you know? So um, I want to start into that to introduce today's message a little bit because it kind of started and it was titled on an accidental reading of a scripture. And I'm one that thinks that any scripture, any reading of the scripture is better than no reading of the scripture. So even if it's accidental, um, you might notice that we always read when we read here um, in our worship service, we always read from the Common English Bible. I don't know if that's your favorite translation. In fact, how many of you have a favorite translation of the Bible? Feel free to raise your hands. There's no judgment one way or the other. Okay, are you willing to, to say out loud what your favorite translation is? Okay, awesome. So, um, one of the things that we're going to spend some time on over the next month or so is, you know, there are a lot of different translations. Of there are hundreds in English, and some of us have favorite translations, as some of you have admitted. Some of us don't have favorite translations. Either way is fine. Some people prefer even the King James Bible, which was first translated in English in 1611, so more than 400 years ago. Some people today prefer that because, some of them say, because of the kind of lofty language that is used, which is really interesting because in 1611, when that version was first translated, it was not lofty English. It was the English of the common people. And it doesn't feel that way now. And some people like that version because it makes them feel, um, uh, I guess, connected to the holy in ways that other versions don't. And, and some people like other translations. But here's the deal. Unless you are literally fluent in Koine Greek, a version of Greek that is not exactly the same as what's spoken in the nation Greece right now, and unless you're similarly fluent in ancient Hebrew, you probably don't have a place to say between these hundreds of English translations, this one is better. Although many of us find ourselves justifying our own favorite scriptures based on, well, I like this one because it's better. Now, it might be a better, more comfortable reading for your ears. It might be better because it, it moves you to hear and follow the Spirit better. But as far as actual translation from the Greek and the Hebrew, no one of us has the experience 
to judge between the English translations. So we are probably best off if we read from a variety of English translations, and that's frustrating to me because for 10 years now, I've read almost exclusively from this common English Bible, and yet a theologian uh, for whom I have great respect said that every couple years you should probably change the translation you read just to make you a little less comfortable with it. Because the scriptures weren't written to make us comfortable. The scriptures were written to connect us with God. So, um, all that to say, we use the common English Bible, which in Matthew 2, 13 starts with now. But the title of the sermon is after. Because someplace in the last week, as I was uh, early last week, as I was preparing for this sermon, and I started to read Matthew 2, 13 through 23, for some reason, because I usually read an electronical, electronic version. Electronical? Is that even a word? I accidentally read the New Revised Standard Version, which is a very good translation. But it's not the one that we read here. But the reason I say that is because the New Revised Standard Version starts verse 3 or verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2 with after. And after really caught my attention there because earlier that day, I'd done what I ought and that's read headlines to get all my information about what's going on in the world. I very rarely read the articles because that's boring and takes a while. So I read the headlines and I came across this headline because I always read them on my phone. And it looked just like this. Boeing ousts its CEO after two deadly 737 MAX crashes. You all might have seen a headline very much like that. It's tagged Monday. It doesn't say Monday, but it's December 23rd. So here's the interesting part that struck me about that. Because you probably know this, Boeing sacked their CEO last week. After, the headline says, two deadly 737 MAX crashes. Do you remember when the 737 MAX crashes were? They were April and May. So seven months ago, so saying that the CEO was sacked after that is kind of like a kid saying they rode their bike after they were born. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it's not exactly what you usually use the word after for. So, thank you. So I want to invite you, as we bring 2019 to a close and start 2020, I want to invite you to consider the word after. After. After is a transition. It makes reference to something that happened before and connects it to something that's happening now or in the future. So now and in the future is after whatever was before. So how do you do with things that are before? Do you let go of things after they happen? Do you let go of really hard things just like, well, nothing I can do about that now? Do you forgive people that have wronged you easily because, well, that, that happened and now we're after that? Do you hang on to things? Do you let go of things? Do you find in your introspective times that, man, there are some things I just don't, don't let go of very easy and there's other things that I let go of very, very easily? And I ask this because it's always good, not just as the, the calendar year cycles to the next 
uh, version, but as we continue to move in our lives, as we continue to try to follow Jesus a bit better today than yesterday, it, we all need to have internally and among the congregation conversations about before and after, about things that we need to leave behind and things that we need to bring forward with us. And I think for our congregation, it's especially significant this year because 2020 for Euless First United Methodist Church will be a year unlike any other year that we've had in 144 years. Now, we've had, this, this congregation has faced plenty of changes, many of them very much like the changes that we see coming this year, but none exactly the same. And most of those changes, honestly, were before most of us were here or here. But it behooves us now and regularly to consider how we face things from the past, in the present, and looking towards the future, all in terms of after. So after we get through 2019, how are you going to follow Jesus in 2020? What do you need to leave behind and just put a bow on it and never let it come up again? What do you need to hang on to because it taught you something? Or you really experienced God in a new and fresh way and you don't want to let that go because you want it to keep you moving. Or what, what happened in 2019 that you might still be wrestling with and wish had never happened? You're not sure you can move forward because if you have something like that in 2019 or any time in the recent past, you might be kind of where the people of Israel were when Isaiah wrote this, what is in our version, the 63rd chapter, the 7th through 9th verses. So Isaiah was written to God's people long after God's people had been ripped from the land that had been promised to their ancestors. And they all knew the stories about the gloriousness and God's faithfulness of the way God promised it. And it took a while to deliver. And then they left and they were held in slavery in Egypt and God delivered them and gave them the promised land again. And then there was this point in their history that Israel, God's chosen people, were the people to which other kingdoms sent emissaries to find out, is it really as good as we hear? And they came and saw and experienced and said, yes, it is that good. Well, all the people to whom Isaiah is writing are way past that. And they're hearing those stories, but they're living in somebody else's land and somebody else is in charge and somebody else decides what they can do and what they can't do and where they can go and where they can't go. And so to those people, Isaiah writes this, I will recount the Lord's faithful acts. I will sing the Lord's praises because of all the Lord did for us, for God's great favor towards the house of Israel. And you might need to hear this next part especially. God treated them compassionately and with deep affection. God said, truly they are my people, children who won't do what is wrong, wishful thinking by a parent. If you're a parent, you've been there. My children won't do what's wrong. If you're not a parent, but you ever had parents, your parents said that about you at some point too. And then, back to the scriptures. God became their savior. During, their, during all their distress, God also was distressed. During all your distress, God also was distressed. Oh, but it goes on. In love and mercy, God redeemed them, lifting and carrying them throughout earlier times. After all they've been through, 
Isaiah offers them this beautiful reminder that during their distress, God was distressed and that God would carry them through. And then in Matthew chapter 2, again, which in some translations starts in verse 13 with after, and the CEB just says, when her-. no, that's the wrong, I, I get the wrong verse. When the Magi had departed. What a way to start a story, right? When the Magi had departed, who are the Magi? Why were they there? What, tell us more of the story. Well, you know the backstory of this. Sometime between, and we, we get some details in today's reading, sometime between when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and before he was three, the Magi showed up. It is very unlikely they showed up the same night that Jesus was born with the shepherds and brought all their stuff. We do it that way so that our Christmas pageants don't last two and a half years. But now it's after that story. So the Magi, and it doesn't say how many Magi. I think we've made it three because putting three kids in royal-looking clothes is probably enough for any church to handle. So the Magi had departed, but the Magi showed up in all their splendor and brought presents to this baby that probably both shocked Mary and Joseph and also confirmed for them and helped them clarify a little bit of those mysterious um, messages they'd received from the angels about the specialness of this child. So these people show up from the east with gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they give them to the baby. And sometime then, because the way things happened back then is if you go to visit a king, you stop at the king's palace. So on their way looking for Bethlehem, they stopped in Jerusalem and found Herod, who was a little ticked to hear there was another king because he wasn't through being king. So he's frustrated enough. He said, said oh, so come tell me after you find him so I may um, send him gifts also. And the Magi got a different message and went home a different way. And Herod got wind of this and decided, okay, well, I'm not going to have another king. So he sent forces down to Bethlehem and said, kill everybody two years and younger. And in the midst of that time, Joseph got another vision from the angel and said, take your family to Egypt. Because that's what everybody with a baby wants to do, move their family from Israel to Egypt. So they did it. And then the story gets compressed. We don't know how long they're in Egypt. At some point, Joseph gets another message. Bring your people back to Israel. Oh, but you can't go here because Archelaus is ruler there, so go to the Galilee. So the scripture can be fulfilled that he was called a Nazarene. And all this happens after the Magi had departed, which is kind of a roller coaster of a life, you got to admit. So all this after stuff. So, so the birthday of Jesus, if it was anything like any Christmas pageant you've ever seen, was a glorious time. I'm sure it wasn't exactly the same because a mother actually delivered a child, and we don't do that part in the Christmas pageants. And so, but, but then the shepherds showed up, and there were angels, and, and there was all this gloriousness of a newborn baby, and there's something extra special, even more special than a newborn baby about this newborn baby. And so all is wonderful. And then the Magi come, and it's even more wonderful. And then you get warned that you got to leave town because Herod's coming to kill babies. And that's the opposite of wonderful. So you take your family and you haul them off to Egypt. And that fulfills the scripture, but it's also really, really frustrating to have to take your family to Egypt. 
and you probably just get comfortable there, and the kid has friends and neighbors he plays with, and then you get a vision. Okay, go back. But don't go back exactly where you went before. Go back to Nazareth. And all along the way, after each opportunity that they have, there's something else. And sometimes the after is here, and sometimes the after is down here. But after each of these events, or after each of these circumstances, they have a new opportunity to remember that God is faithful and that when they're distressed, God is distressed. And that God himself is their Savior. And that even when they're in a land that's not theirs, God is with them and God is faithful. So again, if we, if we took a, a poll, we'd probably have all kinds of different answers in this room right now about what kind of year 2019 was. Or, since I'm strongly in the camp that the new decade starts on Wednesday as well, how your last decade was. Might be a decade you just don't want to go through again. You'd like to leave it all behind you. If you want to leave it all behind you, please do. Don't carry for the next 10 years how you want to leave the last 10 years behind you. Because as of Wednesday... As of now, it's all after. So let it be after. Because God is faithful. So we start with the screenshot. I want to share another screenshot with you. This from the opposite end. This from it doesn't matter what happened when or how long it's waited. If we are disloyal, God, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, is faithful. God stays faithful because God can't be anything else than what he is. And what God is, is faithful. Always. Sometimes it takes years, sometimes it might take a decade to realize and live into that, but God is always faithful. Please breathe that in as you finish 2019, that God is faithful. And pray with me. God, for your faithfulness, we are grateful. For all the opportunities that we give you to demonstrate your faithfulness, God, sometimes, sometimes we wear ourselves out with our unfaithfulness and with our lack of memory and with our good efforts and our weak efforts. But God, through them all, you are faithful. So as we stand here in the midst of of everything that has been before us and everything that comes after. Help us to rest. Help us to rejoice in your faithfulness. And we thank you in Jesus' name.